And if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you please take them and open to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4 today. I had the uh, privilege yesterday of being involved with uh, uh, Ginger Lake and Gordon Hakula's wedding. Well, now it's Ginger Hakula. That's, I guess that's the way it works when you get married. Um, it has been such a delight for me. Many of you know Ginger. She's been part of Beulah for, uh, well, years. And uh, I've had the privilege of getting to know her also as a preschool teacher because she teaches in life preschool. And it has just been such a joy for me to watch these two seniors who both thought that hmm, their married years had probably come and gone, uh, but then to have a sense that God brought them to each other and gave them each the gift of a second marriage. What a delightful, uh, what, a, what a delightful grace that God has given them. So I uh, was, was glad to be part of that wedding yesterday. And, and uh, I'll be honest, one of the things that, that I or that, that, that my family struggled with as we approached the wedding is, what wedding gift do we get them? I mean, what do you get a couple who is in their senior years and has everything they would need? What do you buy a couple getting married um, when they had to downsize their homes to live together as one? I mean, they certainly don't need China or a punch bowl or... Uh, of course, you know, I, I knew that Gordon and Ginger didn't expect us to get them anything, right? I mean, they would have been happy if, if we just gave them a hug and said congratulations, or if we just got them a greeting card, they'd have been fine with that. They didn't expect anything. But that's the interesting thing about giving gifts, isn't it? The best gifts are the ones that are given not out of obligation, not because you had to get me something, but out of desire, because of your overflow in love and affection, you want to give a gift. So I say that because um, this series that we started last week is called Christmas in July. And um, some of you, as you think about gifts, may have that, you know, you probably never verbalize it because we're all too gracious, but that feeling like, oh, there's buying gifts at Christmas. I, there's just like coworkers, you know, they buy me a gift, so I have to buy them a gift. I hate that. I hate it when I got to get someone. I feel like I need to get someone a gift. I don't know what to give them. That's not at all what we're talking about today. You have my word that today I'm, I'm not going to compel you or I'm not going to suggest that you could go buy a gift for someone. Rather, what we're talking about today and, and uh, you know, what we started last week is about the gifts that you've been given, which leads to the big idea for today's message. This is written at the, the top of your notes if you're a fill-in-the-blank person. When I received saving grace, I was given serving grace. Let me say that again. When I received saving grace, that of course is salvation, I was given serving grace. We'll use that phrase, serving grace, interchangeably with one that you may be more familiar with, and that's the, the phrase spiritual gifts. Okay, they, they both come from the same word. So when I received saving grace, I was also given serving grace. We, we began to tease this out last week as we opened this series. And, and we saw that God has given every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ, we called it a, a shape for ministry. 
Uh, he's given us gifts in, in different forms, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4. And so uh, we've said that we've been given a unique shape for ministry. And uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack that word shape as an acronym. We went over that last week. You can go back and listen if you're interested. We're going to unpack the first part of what it means to have a unique shape, and that is spiritual gifts, specifically as Paul teaches about them in Ephesians chapter 4. Now we're going to read the text in a minute, but first I want, to, I want to set up two things that I think will help us better understand these verses that we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. First of all, the passage that we're going to read, starting at verse 7 in Ephesians 4, comes in the middle of a larger conversation. This teaching about spiritual gifts or serving graces comes in the context of a greater discussion or conversation, teaching that Paul is sharing about unity in the church. So in the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is teaching us or reminding us that if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we are, we are one. This is where we have the list of there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Perhaps that rings a bell. That's in the section before here. So as we read Ephesians 7, just like any time in Scripture where we read about spiritual gifts, there's a context, there's a point to it. And in this case, Paul transitions from talking about what God has done for all of us, what unity we all have as followers of Christ, and he transitions into what God has done for each of us. Uh, uh, so, so we might say that um, Paul is teaching us that our unity as, as a church is equally part, equal part saving grace, our salvation, and equal part our willingness to exercise and put into use or fan into flame our serving grace, or again, our spiritual gifts. Let me say that again. Paul is teaching us in this whole passage, we're not looking at the whole passage, that our unity, our maturity in Christ is equal parts saving grace because we've been saved by Jesus Christ and equal parts serving grace, us using the gifts that God has given us to serve our local church, okay? That's the overall context. We need to know that before we read this. Secondly, the, the thing I'd like to message, mention before we read the passage is that the verses we're going to read, or at least the greater part of them, are an English teacher's nightmare. The first reason for that is because they're written in Greek, and most English teachers don't do well with Greek. Okay, come on, that wasn't that bad. You could at least chuckle. Man. Uh, but, but seriously, the reason is because in Greek, verses 11 through 16 are all one gigantic sentence. Now, some of you are looking at your English translation saying, it looks to me like it's four or five sentences. Well, the English, those who translated into English have been really helpful to us because we don't, although we often speak and run on sentences, we don't do well reading run on sentences and, and following the thought patterns. But in the Greek, it's one long sentence. And what Paul does in the first half of the sentence, and you'll see it in the few, first few verses as we read 11 through 16, is he's talking about spiritual gifts and you know, saving, or excuse me, serving graces. And then in the second part of his sentence, again, it's all one sentence in Greek, he takes that idea of serving graces and he ties it back to the unity 
of the church. So um, it's, it doesn't read like that in, in English, but um, it does provide a little bit of difficulty for translators and those who are trying to interpret it and preach it because of the way that it divides. But all that being said, let's read Ephesians chapter 4. Follow along if you'd like. I'll be reading starting at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So now the rest of what we're going to read today is that one giant sentence in Greek, starting at verse 11. And I'll give you bonus points if you can hold your breath the whole time I say it. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what I'd like for us to do today is to look at three questions that Paul answers as he writes this passage about serving grace, or we would say spiritual gifts. So here's the, here's the first question and answer. Who gave me serving grace. And Paul answers that in verses 8 through 10. He says, the risen Christ did. Now, by show of hands, or for those of you who are online with us, you can type me in the comments. By show of hands, how many of you find verses 8 through 10 confusing? Okay, a few of us. I, I have always found it confusing until I dug into it and studied it. Here's, let, me, let me paint the picture for you like this. In verses 8 through 10, Paul uses what we might call a parenthetical illustration. It's like when you're talking with a friend and they're going on and on and they go, oh, by the way, it's kind of like, or it reminds me of, you, you kind of understand the feel of that? So Paul presents this illustration parenthetically and then he like explains the illustration, like he has to decode it for us. Now, as we read verses 8 through 10, that parenthetical illustration and explanation, it, it doesn't it doesn't naturally click with us. That's because there's two things happening here. Let me, just, let me just share those with you. I think the original recipients of the letter would have been more attuned to this, but we're just not. So the first kind of dynamic or the first reason I think we don't get this right away is that there's a historical uh, facet to this. Historically, whenever a conquering general would subdue another people, another land, another you know, village, however you'd like to say it, he would bring back the spoils of war. Mind you, that's both the physical spoils, gold, silver, clothing, animals, and the, the human spoils, so captives from the other army, and um, prisoners of war. 
you know, that, that were of his own people. He would bring all those spoils of war back and he would parade them before his people. It's a celebration. It's how he shows his, his military might. Now, like I said, he would often bring back prisoners of war who had been captured by the enemy, but, but now because the, the general has conquered the enemy, he's taken captive again those who were, um, you know, soldier, prisoners of war. In, in historical terms, they're actually called recaptured captives. The general, their general, their king has recaptured them, has brought them back, and then gives them their freedom. And he presents, you know, a measure of the spoils of war, perhaps, but certainly the recaptured captives, he presents them to their families or their villages or their cities as gifts. So that's the first thing that's happening here with this illustration that Paul uses. It might help us understand it a little bit. The second thing that gives, sheds some light on it for us is that Paul is summarizing here Psalm 68. Psalm, you're welcome to read that at some point if you like. Psalm 68 is a, a psalm of David. It's a psalm of military might where David paints a picture of God ascending into heaven after he had vanquished his foes. Uh, can be read on multiple levers, at levels. After he had vanquished actual foes, you know, Hittites, Jebusites, the other ites in the Old Testament. And it can be read on a deeper level after he had vanquished the forces of evil that were attacking his people. So Paul is summarizing Psalm 68. He's using Psalm 68 language, almost, almost word for word in some places from the Old Testament. And then he decodes it for us. For those of us who are followers of Christ, Paul tells us that Jesus is the one who he's talking about. Okay, so he talks about Jesus descending onto earth, right? We celebrate that at Christmas, or right now, Christmas in July. You tracking with me? He, he, he talks about the God who descended, came to earth. In theological terms, we call that the incarnation. In, you get that word. Carne, are you familiar with car carne? Flesh, it's like chili con carne, chili with flesh in it, chili with meat. Incarnation is a little different than chili con carne, but you guys are just, either I'm doing a poor job or you've got other things on your mind today. All right, so, uh, so this is the incarnation. Paul talks about Jesus came to earth, he vanquished his foes, and then the one who had descended, ascended into heaven, where he led a train of the captives, the recaptured captives that he had set free. Raise a hand if you're a recaptured captive. Anyone who has received the gift of saving grace is one of the recaptured captives that Jesus prays before the heavenly host and says, these are the ones I've freed from the forces of evil. I've saved them. They're mine. Father, they are now your children. So Paul paints this picture of what Jesus does, and then he tells us not only that Jesus gives us, the recaptured captives, gifts, but more importantly, he gives us as gifts to the church, is what Paul is teaching here. So follower of Jesus, here's what Paul is teaching us in these first few verses. If God, if Jesus, if God through Jesus has given you saving grace, if you're a follower of, of him, then Jesus, the risen Christ, the conquering king, has given you serving grace. And then 
He's given you with your serving grace as a gift to your local church so that you can advance the kingdom of God where you are. You follow me? Follower of Jesus Christ, you've been giving saving grace. You're a child of God. Jesus, therefore, gives you serving grace so he can give you with that serving grace back to your local church so that you can make way an impact for the kingdom of God. So that leads to our second question today. What serving grace have I received? And the answer Paul seems to say is, the serving grace that Jesus knows our church needs. So what's interesting here, Paul lists a few um, spiritual gifts. And I said last week, there's four passages in the New Testament where the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts. Do you remember what those are? I'll give you a hint. It's two fours and two twelves. So today we're in Ephesians 4, right? Last week we were in 1 Peter 4. Now that leaves the two twelves. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Okay, so if you flip your notes over to the back or if you look on the screen here, um, you'll see that in those passages, there's actually two places in 1 Corinthians 12 that Paul has separate lists of gifts. Um, 1 Peter, uh, like we said last week, doesn't really list individual gifts, but more like categories of gifts, two categories, uh, teaching and or speaking and serving. But as you can, you can see from the breakdown, you can see it better on your notes, um, these lists are almost completely unique from each other. As a matter of fact, uh, the way I count them, the way, the way most biblical scholars count them, there's only five spiritual gifts that are repeated more than once. Two of those, healing and miracles, are, are repeated, but they're repeated in, in each of the two passages in 1 Corinthians. Of those five repeated gifts... Only two are repeated in every list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Those two are prophet and teacher, which for whatever it's worth, most theologians say that's the modern day pastor. So as we look at these gifts, these lists of gifts, it's fascinating that they're not the same. What does that tell us? Well, first of all, that tells us what the New Testament is not saying to us is that these, in Ephesians 4 and any of the passages, these are not the gifts that, that, that the Spirit or that Jesus, that God, gives to believers. What the New Testament is teaching is that these are some of the, some of the gifts, these are representatives or examples of the kinds of gifts that the risen Christ gives to his people so that they can work inside the church. You see, the, the goal of the New Testament, the goal of spiritual gifts teaching in the New Testament, isn't so that we can decode our spiritual gifts. I know that's the culture we live in. We want to understand everything about our personality. We want to understand everything about spiritual gifts. We, we take inventories and we take tests and then we, and then we pigeonhole ourselves inside of what those man-made tests say about us. But that's not what scripture does. The goal isn't to decode what spiritual gift have I been given. The, the goal that scripture is trying to accomplish here is teaching us. Every follower of Christ has been given a serving grace so that we can partner with God and what he's doing in and through our local church. It's not about go discover your gifts. It's about 
use what God has given you to do what God has called you to do. And when you do, you become God's grace gift to your local church. Question number three, what should I do with my serving grace, with my spiritual gift? The answer that Paul addresses is in verse 12. He says, build up your church or our church. So we talked a little bit about this last week in the context of our shape. The unique shape that God has given each of us for ministry, I'll say me, but when, when I say me, say to yourself, me, so that you know we're talking about each of us individually. The, the gift that God has given me, the shape that God has given me, he, he didn't give it to me in the sense that it was mine to possess, right? He gave it to me in the sense that uh, it was mine to use in and through the local church, right? He gave it to me so then he could give me to the local church as a gift. He gave it to you so then he could give you as a gift to the local church. Do you, do you, are you following me there? Each of us who are followers of Christ, that's true about. Now, when we talk about this gift to the local church, this gift of spiritually gifted followers of Christ, we got to think on two different levels, as we think about church, there's, there's kind of two overlapping dynamics. First of all, there's the corporate church, right? There's the whole gathered body. We would, we would say Beulah Missionary Church as a body, an entire body. That's one dynamic of the body. And we can see as we look through these, these spiritual gifts, even, even the ones that are listed as examples in the New Testament, that, that some gifts are specifically designed and to be expressed corporately among the whole body. Paul lists them here. He says, uh, uh, verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers. Those are, those are speaking gifts. Those are services that are usually provided, most often expressed to the whole body as the New Testament understands it. So that's one kind of one layer. The second layer is individuals or small groups within the whole body. And again, as we look at the, the, the gift lists, you can see that um, some of these gifts tend to be expressed in a smaller setting. Gifts like healing or miracles or discernment or, or serving. It's not that those things don't apply to the whole body, but I don't think we have many examples of a whole local church being healed simultaneously. You follow me? That's usually a, a gift that's expressed to an individual for the edification of the whole church, so God's glory can be revealed in the whole church, but it tends to happen on a, on a smaller level. Now, why are we spending time here? What, is, what does this have to do with the question and answer? What should I do with my serving grace? The answer, build up our church. Well, let me take you back to Acts chapter 6. Just the reference, you may not trigger the story, but I think once I start to tell it, you'll remember. In Acts chapter 6, it's a baby church, a brand new local church in Jerusalem. And uh, the apostles are going gangbusters. The, the pastors, if I can use contemporary terminology, the, the pastors are going gangbusters, preaching the gospel and baptizing people. And in the midst of that, the, the, the church body, the, the corporate body starts to say, we have a problem here. Some of our widows are being overlooked. They're not getting what they need so that they can sustain their life. The church needs to deal, apostles, pastor, you need to deal with this. And the apostles say, 
the pastors say, it would not be right for us to neglect the corporate nature of our gifts to address the more individual or small group need that is present. Can you understand? This is scripture. This is how people like James and Peter and John responded to this, this deal of corporate gifts versus smaller individual or small group gifts. And so what did they do? Well, they said um, to the body, why don't you find some men? And they listed some qualifications of, of men who would be um, what we now call deacons, uh, overseers, leaders in the church. And they said, why don't you find men that meet these qualifications? And then we will empower them to use their gifts, which are geared towards a smaller group, to meet this very real need. Okay? Does that story ring a bell? Did I tell it correctly? Okay. Now let me ask you a question. In that account from the early church, which gifts were more important? The corporate gifts, the preaching, the teaching, the the evangelism, the prayer, or the more individual small group gifts, the mercy, the compassion, the uh, administration? Which were more important? Nobody wants to take a guess. If someone's going, I think this is a trick question. Yeah, that, that's right, Ron. Both are equally important. It takes both the exercising of the corporate gifts and the exercising of the more individual or small group oriented gifts in order for a church to be healthy and to work. This is why in modern day United States, When a church says we're stuck and we've been stuck for 30 years and they call in a consultant, one of the things a consultant does is begins to look and take inventory at how many people are actively involved in the ministries of the church. Because the pastors can't do it all. You can't have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work if you desire to have a healthy church. The lower the effectiveness of the church in reaching new people and in keeping whatever people they do reach, the lower the percentage of people who are actually using their giftedness to serve. You want to flip it, you want to have a wider front door and a smaller back door, you want to have more people coming in than are leaving, you got to flip the equation. You've got to require If you belong here, if you call us your home church, you have to have at least one place to serve. Believe it or not, churches do that. And the churches that do that are the healthy, effective, growing churches. So let me summarize this. If you've received saving grace, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then Jesus has given you at least one serving grace that he wants you to express here at your local church at Beulah. And Beulah needs you to do that. Beulah's growth and ability to accomplish our mission will, not completely, but in part, rise and fall on how each of us is exercising the gifts God's given us. So as we wrap up today, let me suggest a couple growth steps. You'll see these printed at the bottom of your notes. First of all, I would suggest 
Um, take a spiritual gifts inventory and then share the results with Pastor Greg. Send him an email after you've kind of gone through whatever you're going to do and, and tell him what you think your spiritual gifts are. He, Pastor Greg would be happy to receive that from you. Let me just make a couple suggestions. Um, I think we're going to put a couple websites here on the screen. There we go. No worries. Um, so we've got gifts.churchgrowth.org. If you're going to do that one, make sure you click individual when you start. It'll make sense if you pull it up. You'll understand what that means. Um, set aside 10 to 15 minutes to do this one. There's a little over 100 questions that you'll click through. Another option would be giftstest.com. Um, this one will take a little less time, uh, maybe five to 10 minutes. There's only a little over 60 questions. Um, and you'll want to, at the beginning, it'll give you a menu to choose your denomination. Missionary Church isn't on there. You can choose none if you want. You can choose whatever you want, but um, I would suggest none. We also have written ones on the back tables. They're on a, they're blue papers. If you would prefer not to do it online, you want to do it, but you want to tabulate your own scores, um, you can pick those up on your way out. Let me give you some pro tips about taking spiritual gifts inventories. First of all, don't answer how you wish you were or how you think you ought to be. Just answer the questions based on how you actually are. There's, there's not necessarily a right or wrong there. Also, don't spend a lot of time on the questions. Read it, think about what's the first thing about you that comes to mind and answer that. Okay, it's fine. You don't, don't analyze it. Don't overanalyze it. Um, I think it's a good idea if you're interested in doing this to take multiple inventories because questions can be worded differently or scored differently, and so you get different results. As a matter of fact, I took both of these this week just to test them out, and um, uh, there was some overlap. One, one, one said I was three gifts, and one said I was five, and I think in those two lists, there were two that were the same. So just take multiple tests and kind of say, yeah, that resonates with who I am. Most importantly, remember that no man-made inventory speaks for Jesus, okay? These are good tools. They're good resources. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's not God's truth about who you are. Your spiritual gifts may change over time, or if you go to a new local church, the Spirit may uh, cultivate in you new giftedness for what that body needs, you may find as you, uh, as life seasons you, you may find other spiritual gifts kind of bubbling to the top. There, there, may, there are definitely, I believe, gifts that God has given people in the local body that will never show up on any of these inventories. I have yet to take a spiritual gift inventory in, I don't know, 35 years of taking inventories that shows the ability to navigate technology as a spiritual gift. But if you want, walk back to Amy after, the church, after church today and see what she's doing, and, and Nate and Dennis and Kate, see what they're doing with technology so that the word can go out to people. And I think you'll walk away going, yeah, that's definitely a spiritual gift. That's not just point and click. There's something going on there, okay? So, so don't assume that, that this is what God, this is Jesus' definitive word on who you are. Second practical step or growth step is pray about this question. Are there things Beulah is expecting our pastors or paid staff to do that really should be given to others? Now, that may come off as self-serving. I get it. Okay, ah, pastor's just saying he wants something off his plate. No, believe me, that's not what I'm saying today. But I want to remind you again of Acts chapter 6. It took the pastors doing their part, exercising their gifts, and it took faithful men and women exercising their gifts of a different nature in order for the church to work. 
We live in a consumer culture where we think we pay the staff to do the work of the ministry and we come and we benefit from it. They're like a, they're like a grill chef at a hibachi restaurant who serves up the food that we're going to eat. Meanwhile, Jesus is in heaven going, no, you are a recaptured captive. I've given you a gift so you can serve the church. Don't expect the pastors and the paid staff to do all of it. That's backwards. That's not how it works. It's not how it's supposed to work. So, so pray about this question. Do I personally, or do we as a church have expectations that really aren't what our paid staff should be doing. Okay, so let's, let's give some practical examples. We have a part-time paid children's director, yeah? Round of applause with me for Mrs. Lindy and the great job she's doing with kids. We've said as a congregation, that's a value. We wanna have someone leading that ministry. What that doesn't mean is we have Mrs. Lindy so she can teach the children and do all the children's programming. That's not what that means. That means that we've agreed children's ministry is important, so we hired someone, and now we're going to partner with her to help her do that, okay? Very practically speaking, Mrs. Lindy has been working her tail off to plan for us a summer outreach. You've heard about this, right? Every head in here should be going up and down. Yes, we've heard about it, okay? This is coming up the first week of August. It's going to be a great week. We already have, I think, over 30 kids, 29 and a half of them not from our church. That was humor. Most of them from the community, who are going to be here for this summer camp, where they're going to learn some soccer skills, but most importantly, we hope they learn about saving grace and receive saving grace. Now, Mrs. Lindy has worked hard on this, but she can't do it all herself. Not only because she's one, one person with physical limitations, but because she doesn't have the giftedness necessarily to carry out all the functions that are needed for soccer camp. So how could you partner to help, right? Open your bulletin. There's a list of things in there. There's some, some ways that, that you could help. And, and, and believe me, all of these aren't, aren't even a matter of spiritual gift. Uh, she needs help with setup. It says a couple of men in the bulletin, but that could be women too. Uh, Monday, August 3rd from 2 to 4, you're going to set up tents, tables, and, and equipment. Now, let me just be clear. You cannot sit there and go, well, I haven't been given the spiritual gift of setup. Because you have. If you could carry a table, or if you could help put a tent up, you can help. Uh, she needs people to run photography and media to take pictures, to shoot video, and put together a slideshow. She's, she's asking for people to help with registration. These might be those with a gift of administration or hospitality. That would be every night of camp from 5.30 to 6.30. She'd be glad to tell you what's more involved with that. You could, you could walk down the list in our church. Not just children's ministry, youth ministry needs adults to step up and say, ah, my teenage years were horrible, but I care about young followers of Christ, and so I'll do what I can to help. You talk about discipleship ministries and classes and small groups. You talk about kitchen ministry. You could talk about the greeters in the lobby. Amen, Bob McLuhan. You could talk about ushers uh, you know, scattered across the back. Uh, you could talk about the Connections Cafe. You, uh, anything we're doing as a church is a place for someone to step up and help. You could talk about church leadership. Beulah needs men and women who understand what it means to be an overseer of the flock, to be a shepherd of the flock of God, and who will express those church leadership gifts. And there's some of you who are sitting here who are watching online, and God has given you church leadership experience and gifting, and you're not using it. 
It is time to step up and to be an overseer of the flock where God has planted you. We need overseers. It's time. So please spend some time asking God in prayer this question. Am I or we expecting things of our pastors or staff that really need to be spread out across the body? Beulah needs everybody who's been given a spiritual gift to be exercising those gifts. And if you've accepted the God's saving grace, Jesus has given you a serving grace, and he wants to give you back to your local church so that you can work together to build up his body. I, I pray that you'll take some time this week and you'll continue to discern how has God shaped me for ministry and, and how does God want me to be exercising my spiritual gifts here at Beulah. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Father, we thank you that Jesus came to the earth humbly, willingly died on the cross so that he could defeat Satan. He could conquer death. He could break the power of sin. Father, I thank you for those in the room and online who would say, I am a recaptured captive. I was captive to sin, but Jesus has recaptured me. Father, I pray for each of us that we would uh, joyfully receive the serving grace you've given us, the spiritual gift or gifts you've given us, and that we would express them, we would exercise them through our local church, through Beulah Missionary Church. Father, we thank you that that's your grand design to expand your kingdom, to build up local churches, to make believers, to, to help us grow into maturity and to maintain our unity. Father, may we be a church, may Beulah be a church where that's happening. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.